You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. Join us now for Bishop Sheen Presents, hosted by Al Smith. Friends, I'd like to welcome you to this week's edition of Bishop Sheen Presents, a program where we feature some of the wit and the wisdom of the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. For over 50 years, Archbishop Sheen captivated audiences on both radio and television. Millions tuned in each week to hear his messages of hope and encouragement. It is my prayer that these meditations presented today will truly touch your heart and show you that your life is worth living. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Bishop Sheen Presents. I have a real treat for you as I continue to find some of these uh, old recordings from Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen when he was on the radio in the 1940s. And so I'm going to share with you uh, a recording from 1943. And um, I think when you look back at history, that's when of course, America was in the Second World War, and uh, not just America, but uh, many other countries too, of course, Canada, and uh, the, it was a world war, so uh, everybody seemed to be uh, fighting against uh, principalities and powers and countries and um, the like, and so uh, anyway, I think we were all looking for words of wisdom back in those days. And uh, Fulton Sheen uh, was uh, the voice of reason for many of us. Now, uh, again, when we look at what was happening in 1943, um, I think everyone was saying, um, why this war? Why? Why? They were asking those questions of why. And uh, Fulton Sheen made it very clear. Uh, We were fighting for Christian principles, and so, of course, he talked about the Christian order and how important it is. And so uh, the title of this talk is called The Christian Order. And uh, we will, again, then have a more of a lighter talk in the second half of our program, where Fulton Sheen will talk about the Our Father. And uh, he gave this address in one of his family retreats uh, back in the 1970s. And so uh, kind of a blend of uh, seriousness and lightheartedness on today's broadcast. So uh, please just sit back and relax and enjoy one of the greatest communicators of our time, the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen, as he gives an address entitled The Christian Order. Please enjoy. Friends. Today we come to a more pleasant task, the constructive part of our series. In order to reach it, it was necessary to point out the evils and defects of those systems which either deny or forget Almighty God and the moral law. It was only after John the Baptist laid the axe to the roots of evil trees that our Lord sowed the seed of the tree of life. Christianity preaches its good news only after one has heard the bad news. Today we begin the good news of the Christian order. The Christian worldview differs from the totalitarian view 
and from the materialist culture view of the Western world in one basic fact. It believes that it is man who makes society and not society which makes man. That is why our first broadcast on the Christian order must begin with man. After all, what is the use of a revolution or a new economic order or a new international society unless we know the type of person for whom it is intended? If an architect were asked to design a building, he would want to know who was going to live in it. If the sick were to live in it, he would build a hospital. If the criminals were to live in it, he would build a penitentiary. In like manner, before we draw up a plan for a new social order, we should ask the question, who is going to live in it? This is very important, because for the last century, there have been many distorted views of human nature. There were fashions in man as there were fashions in clothes. Some fashions concentrating on one particular aspect to the neglect of all others. Very much like the blind men who felt an elephant, each describing it differently accordingly as he touched the trunk, the tail, the ear, or the legs. For example, some blind men in the days of Darwin felt man. And since he felt like an animal, they said he must be an animal, and therefore should be treated as one. Such was the Darwinian man. And then there came a new fashion. Blind men felt man again, and they found that he was made up of nerves and reflexes and responses and ganglia, and so we had the Freudian or psychological man who consulted dream books after each fitful sleep to learn what Freud had to say about his sex life. And then there came a blind philosopher who made the great discovery that man spent a great deal of his time earning a living. Universalizing this particular aspect, he gave us the economic man, or the Marxian man, for whom religion and law and culture and the arts were byproducts of economic methods of production. Now we are at the beginning of a new fashion in man. Blind men discovered that man lived in a state, that he was dependent on it for his ideas. And thus was born the political man whom the new lawyers tell us has no rights except those which have been given to him by the state. Now these partial views of man, of Marx, of Spencer, of Darwin, and of Freud, never treat man as he really is. They are incidental activities erected into absolutes. The thinking of these men is very much of the same mental caliber as one who thinks, for example, a manicurist who might think that a man was all hands, or a dentist who might think that a man was all teeth. The Christian view of man admits that man has ganglia, that he dreams, that he experiences libidos, that he works, and that he talks politics. But it insists that man is none of these things exclusively. 
He's not even all of these things added together. Any more than a baby is the sum of chemicals in the laboratory. The Christian begins by asking this question. What is it that makes a man different from anything else in all the world? And it answers, an intellect and a will. An intellect by which man can know truth and a will by which he can choose goodness. And next, Christianity says, since man is different from an animal because of an intellect and a will, he must have a different purpose than an animal, just as a monkey wrench must have an entirely different purpose than a monkey. Now, this purpose will obviously be in keeping with what is highest in his life, namely his intellect and his will. Man, therefore, will never be completely satisfied until he attains three things. First, he wants life. Not life for two more months or two more years, but abiding eternal life. And secondly, he wants truth for his intellect, not the truths of geography to the exclusion of science, nor of history to the exclusion of anything else, but all truth, without any admixture of error. And thirdly, he wants love, not love for any definite period of time, but an eternal ecstasy of love without shadow of hate or satiety. Now this eternal life and truth and love which man seeks is God. God, therefore, is his final and his ultimate end. Hence, politics, governments, economics, social security are not the ends of human life. They are only the means to the final end which is God and they therefore derive their morality from that final end. This is the Christian view of man. Now Christianity also explains the inner conflicts of man. There is not a single one of us who does not feel as if we were two. There's something good in us and there is something bad in us. We have higher ideals than we realize. We sink to lower depths than we wish. Our souls are like radios tuned into two different stations, the one heaven and the other hell, and all that we seem to get is static and just a meaningless jumble. As St. Paul tells us, the good which we will to do that we do not. And the evil which we will not, that we do. How often we say, what a fool I have been. And yet, how wise we have to be to know that we are fools. Why is it we are this way? If it be not because something has happened to us, something to destroy our original unity, namely sin, man has contradicted himself 
in contradicting God. Thus, our primitive freedom, which was meant to be free for God and in God, has become perverted to mean in modern man freedom from God. We are godless now, but we would never be godless without God. That is why we are the way we are, because of sin. But Christianity does not leave man in his sin because the image of God was defaced. The divine original came to this earth to remake that image. And that was our divine Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And being man, he could act as man and for man. Being God, his redemption would be of infinite value. He allowed all of our sins to come to a head and to do their worst against him, namely to put him to death. But in attempting to kill God, which is the nature of sin, sin wrote its own condemnation. For by rising from the dead by the power of God, he made the disaster of sin the beginning of a new and regenerated humanity under his leadership, which is the kingdom of God. There is absolutely, however, no compulsion about his appeal. He does not force a single one of us who are fallen and disordered to live according to his level. Any one of us may continue to live on this subhuman level that we are. He has left us free. Feet that are pierced with nails cannot run down an unwilling prey. His very flag is the flag of freedom, a king on a cross. For how can he enslave or dictate who has no arms to fight except love and a broken heart? Just think how different our political and economic system would be if it were based on this Christian concept of man. Incidentally, we will begin to explain next Sunday the repercussions of this Christian doctrine of man on the economic and social order. But presently we are concerned with this problem. What chance is there today in this world of restoring the Christian concept of man? When one thinks on the one hand of how few there are who really acknowledge God, how few practical Christians there are for whom Christ is the way and the truth and the life, and on the other hand, when we think of the terrific power of evil to mold the minds of men and their touchiness about worldly alliances, along with their callousness for the preservation of the moral law, I say when we think of these things, the task seems hopeless. 
and hopeless it would be if the strength of our cause came from power or numbers or influence and not from the Spirit of God. Given this spirit, a Christian will never lose courage. For although a pagan will have courage as long as there is a chance for victory, the Christian must have courage when there is absolutely no chance. For his victory comes not from his fight, but from his faith. This is the victory that overcometh the world, your faith. Will this broadcast help to restore that Christian concept of man? Not a bit. I have no illusions about it. That is why in each broadcast, I ask the Jews and the Protestants to set aside a holy hour a day for prayer and meditation. That is why I ask every Catholic to include in this holy hour daily mass and communion. And anyone who desires a prayer book entitled The Shield of Faith to assist in this hour, we will gladly send it free. I am not giving these broadcasts, you know, in order that you might listen to me. I am using these broadcasts as an excuse for prayer and for the holy hour. Holy hour is not incidental to the broadcasts. It is the broadcasts that are incidental to the holy hour. And if one of the reasons you have no time to spend an hour a day in communion with God during this war is because you are listening to this program of mine, then for heaven's sake, shut it off. And get down on your knees. You will do more good for your soul and your mind and America and the world than you will by listening to this broadcast. Granted now your prayers. What objection is there to this suggestion of ours that we build a new order based on the Christian concept of man? There is only one objection. We hear it on all sides. Christianity does not suit the modern man. Certainly it does not. We never contended that it did. And the reason it does not is because the modern man is not man. He is a part man, a dissected man. But Christianity does suit man in his entirety as a creature composed of body and soul. Up until now, it has been said, Christianity does not suit the modern man. Therefore, let us scrap Christianity. Do you not think that it is about time for us to turn it around? And to put it this way, Christianity does not suit the modern man. Therefore, let us scrap the modern man. There is a possibility worth considering. Maybe there is nothing wrong with Christianity after all. May we dare suggest it? Maybe there is something wrong with us. Maybe there is something wrong with the flippancy of George Bernard Shaw 
and nothing wrong with the theology of St. John. Maybe there is something askew with H.G. Wells and nothing wrong with St. Vincent de Paul. Maybe there is something wrong with progressive education. And maybe there's nothing wrong with the light of the world. After all, how can we have peace and justice unless we love one another? Take this key sentence, which certainly conditions peace. Therefore, let us love one another. Put it at the end of the Darwinian man. Man is descended from a monkey. Therefore, let us love one another. Ridiculous, isn't it? Put it at the end of the Marxian man. Man is a tool-making animal. Therefore, let us love one another. Foolish. Put it at the end of the Freudian man. Man is a cosmic ganglion. Therefore, let us love one another. That is more foolish still. Now, put it at the end of the Christian man. Man is a creature made to the image and likeness of the God of love. Therefore, let us love one another. That makes sense, doesn't it? And that is where we will have to begin in rebuilding a new world. And all of our planning, regardless of how profound it is, will end nowhere except in socialism unless we return to this Christian concept of man. We have given the Marxists their chance. We have given the Darwinians theirs. We have given the Freudians theirs. And we have given the liberals theirs. Now... Let us give man a chance. God love You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program. Bishop Sheen presents, hosted by Al Smith. Hello, my good friends and Radio Maria family, and welcome back to Bishop Sheen presents. I love that uh, first talk and. Um, Again, the war years and how how consoling it would be to have those uh, words of wisdom from Fulton Sheen come into your home. And um, I can't imagine what it would be like to be in a war. Like, um, you know, I, I'm 60 years old and um, have never really seen war in my own country. And... Um, Yet, uh, men went off to war to fight uh, an enemy. Um, and, of course, there were many enemies. And yet, uh, there was always that concern, would they come back? Would our loved ones come back from war? So, uh, there was a lot of uh, anxious people, and rightfully so. Uh, but yet, those kind words from Fulton Sheen, uh, explaining what evil is, explaining... Um, Again, how there's a plan, and it's a plan that God set forth to help us to find peace. And um, he mentioned a few books um, in that talk. And uh, again, I'm so happy that I've had a part 
in reproducing many of these books. He he talked about uh, the armor of God, the uh, little wartime prayer book that uh, he was distributing uh, there for many years. They called it the shield of faith. He called the prayer book the armor of God. And it's been reproduced by Sophia Institute Press as the wartime prayer book. And many people have seen that on Amazon and various um, you know, bookstore websites. Uh, and I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the wartime prayer book. It's a great little companion. I carry it with me at all times. It's very rugged. It can go in your pocket or your purse. And it has all the prayers that we're supposed to be praying. Um, Fulton Sheen made it so that a soldier could have this little prayer book uh, in his um, his pouch or his sleeve or you know, there's all those pockets on, um, again, the military outfits. And so uh, it was encouraged that the soldier would pray his prayers, um, whether it be in the barracks or in the bunker um, or wherever. But um, again, we don't seem to take prayer as seriously as we should. And so to have a little prayer book with you is a great idea. So uh, a simple wartime prayer book is what it's called. And again, it's available through Sophia Institute Press. And uh, their website is sophiainstitute.com, and you can find them. But just Google wartime prayer book, and you'll hear of many beautiful testimonies of what this little book has done for people. Um, and there are some larger books, too. And, um, you know, Fulton Sheen produced a holy hour prayer book and uh, a number of beautiful meditations um, that we can take with us into a holy hour. And you could see by his passion, he was saying, um, I want everyone to pray a holy hour, Jews, Protestants, and Catholics. And so um, he, he wanted us all to pray. And he, there was even that part in the show where he said, um, if my radio broadcast is stopping you from praying your holy hour, uh, then turn me off and uh, go and pray your holy hour. And so I thought that was just very beautiful there. Uh, but there is, again, a holy hour prayer book. I had my hand in um, developing that uh, little prayer book and um, republishing re it. I, I didn't write it. Fulton Sheen wrote it. But I republished it, and you can find it uh, on the web, too. It's just called The Holy Hour Prayer Book. Could you not spend one hour with me? Um, it's an Amazon bestseller, and uh, again, people have enjoyed it. And it's got a beautiful front cover of uh, the monstrance um, of our, with our Eucharistic Lord in Peoria, Illinois, on the altar there. And so uh, just a beautiful front cover. And of course, the content inside the book is amazing. And you can find that on Amazon. Just uh, Google the Holy Hour Prayer Book by Fulton Sheen and you'll see it there. And so, um, again, I uh, apologize for the shameless plug, uh, but uh, my mission, I think, uh, for the last uh, 10 years at least has been to uh, just share Bishop Sheen with the world. And um, I, I I love reading Sheen. I love watching his videos. I love, um, of course, listening to his uh, audio recordings. Uh, I'm a fan, and many of you listening today are also fans. And so uh, if you ever want to listen to Sheen, watch Sheen, or read Sheen for hours and hours, um, <laughs> again, just visit a website called bishopsheentoday.com. 
And uh, there, um, there's hundreds of hours of free videos, free audio recordings. And again, it's well-named. It's Bishop Sheen Today, because we need Bishop Sheen Today. So that website is the go-to website for all things Bishop Sheen. All right, uh, I think it's time to have another lesson from Fulton Sheen. And so we're going to uh, let him uh, teach us about the Our Father. And uh, again, this talk comes from a family retreat he gave in the 1970s uh, that many of you may have seen on the internet. But uh, of course, this is the audio recording uh, because it is radio, and I think you'll enjoy it. So uh, please uh, sit back and relax and uh, enjoy this reflection entitled The Our Father by Fulton Sheen. God love you. The gospel which you have just heard read is on the subject of prayer. And it is one in which the disciples came to our Lord and asked him, How should we pray? And in answer he gave them the prayer, which we know so well, the Our Father. Now I'm going to describe the Our Father to you and explain it to you. Notice that our blessed Lord said, when you pray, say, Our Father. Our Lord did not say, My Father. It is interesting to go through the Gospels and note that never once did our Lord say of you and me and himself, Our Father. He said, I will ascend to my father and your father, never our father. Why? Because he's, he is God. He's the natural son of God. We're only the adopted children. And he makes that distinction. So he says to us, when you pray, you say, our father. Now, we do not get the full impact of this, but just put yourself in the mentality of the Jews who heard it. Remember that the name of God was so sacred to the Jews that there was one name for him they would never pronounce. It was too sacred. And even in the Old Testament, we find only two or three instances in which God is called Father, and then there's always another word to modify it. They were so very careful to glorify the Heavenly Father. Now, when we come, however, to our blessed Lord, see the familiarity with which he talks about his Father. He said, my Father's working until now, and I work. The night of the Last Supper, when Philip said, show us the Father. Our Lord said, Philip, Philip, have I been with you all this time and still you do not understand? The Father and I are one. So the Jews, therefore, stood at a great distance from the name of God. Now, our blessed Lord used a word which we use only when we're children. When our blessed Lord spoke to his heavenly Father, he used very often, and probably throughout the entire gospel, but we know on certain occasions, he used the word Abba. 
A-B-B-A. It is not a good Aramaic word. And our Lord spoke Aramaic. What is Abba for father? Is it just father in the abstract sense of the word? No. Children have a pet name for their father. It might, for example, at the very beginning of a child's life, be Dada. Now that's what Abba means. It was the child's name for the father. So contrast on one side, the fear of the Jews of ever pronouncing the name of God, and then our blessed Lord coming to earth and calling him Abba. That's why they picked up stones on three occasions to, to kill him. And he said, why do you do this? And they said, because you made yourself one with the Father. Sure, his nature was one with the Father. And so important is this word Abba, that when St. Paul began preaching the gospel of our Lord to the Greeks, when he wrote, he wrote in Greek. He took the Aramaic word Abba and kept it in the Greek. So that in two of his letters, one of them uh, in the Romans and the other to the Galatians, he tells his people, remember that your father is Abba, that he has given you the spirit of adoption to be his children. So this is the beginning of the Our Father, Our Father, then who art in heaven. We start above. We can never lift ourselves by the lobes of our ears. We live in a horizontal world where we believe we help one another, but the real help that makes us new creatures and children of God has to come from above. Hence, our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. That means, may it be sanctified, may it be glorified, and may you be worshipped. Now, what is worship? For example, we think, well, why does God demand our worship? Is he sitting up there in a golden throne, waiting for us as obedient servants of him to prostrate ourselves before him in worship? Is that the meaning of worship? No. Now when, how often, for example, a little girl in the springtime, girl about three or four, will go out into the garden, into the yard, and pick up dandelions and bring dandelions into the mother. Now let me tell you that those dandelions are a bore to the mother. She wouldn't admit it. She doesn't need the dandelions. But has any mother in the world, when she's taken these dandelions, ever thrown them out into the garbage? No, she said, oh, how nice of you, dear, you love me, don't you? And so the mother accepts that worship. 
in order to train the daughter to be loving. Now that's what worship is. In the theater, for example, we applaud. Applaud means worthful. That's worship. Now we go Sunday, I gave a retreat to about 1,200 actors and actresses in New York at the Majestic Theater. The retreat lasted all day. And about six or seven times during the day I would come out and, and talk to all of these people who were so trained in the theater. Well, unlike other audiences, on the stage they appreciate applause. They live by applause. So they think that anyone who appears on the stage must live by it too. So very often in the course of a talk, they would interrupt what I was saying by applause. Why? Because it was a manifestation of worthfulness. That's what worship is. God doesn't need it. We need it. So hallowed be thy name. Now thus far our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. These two phrases go together. Now we priests who are used to reading the Psalms and the scriptures have always noticed in the scriptures the balance of phrase. For example, in the Psalms you'll find a sentence, Thy statutes, O Lord, are good. Then the other half, Thy commandments are wise. In the second half, we say the same idea as we do in the first, but we just put it in different words. So in the Our Father, these two phrases, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, mean practically the same. How do we get into the kingdom of God? By doing his will. Now, many are going to get into the kingdom of God because they're doing his will according to their lights. But suppose we do not do his will. My finger pointed vertically signifies the will of God because it points to heaven. My finger horizontally represents my will because it's earthy and flat. Suppose I take my will and put it across God's will. When I do that, I get physically across. Psychologically, I get a complex. That's how we get mixed up. Now, I hope I have a pencil here. I'll use that as an illustration, too. Here is a pencil. Is this pencil good? Yes, it's good pencil. Why? Because it writes. That's the way you know when anything is good, if it fulfills the purpose for which it is made. When, therefore, I want this pencil to write God, it writes the word God. Suppose this pencil had a will of its own. And suppose when I wanted to write the word God, 
it wrote the word dog. I couldn't do anything with it. That is why when we fail to live up to God's law, he can't use us. And I couldn't use this pencil. We lack his power. And the more effective any person is in the church and in the world depends upon his relatedness to being under the hand of God so that he can use us as instruments. Or to give you another example, suppose I try to open a tomato can with this pencil. Now I do my own cooking, so I'm used to opening cans, but not with pencils. And I'm a terrible cook. Betty Crocker one day saw me cooking through a brick through the window. Suppose now I tried, I tried to open a tomato can with this pencil. One, I wouldn't open the can. And two, I would ruin the pencil. So when we try try to achieve happiness in some other way than a God-appointed way, supposed by drugs or alcohol or vice, anything of that kind, we think we're going to get a lot of pleasure out of it, but actually we never get the pleasure we intended and we hurt ourselves. Thus the prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, means that we enter into the kingdom of God by doing his will, and that makes us happy. This is the secret of peace. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Notice that the petitions of the Our Father have a division in the middle. The first three petitions refer to the heavenly, to God. Then we get this middle one. We can't live without bread. So we appeal to God for our daily subsistence. Give us this day our daily bread. But it could also mean And there is a suggestion of it in the original, in the gospel. Give us this day our super substantial bread, namely the Eucharist. So very often the apostles misunderstood our blessed Lord when he spoke of bread. When they were crossing the lake in the storm, They became frightened, and our blessed, and the gospel gives the explanation. They did not take account of the mystery of the bread, of the miracle of the bread, when our blessed Lord multiplied the loaves and fishes in order to remind them that he had power to give us the bread of life. So the giving us, give us this day our daily bread, therefore, means not only that which is necessary for daily life, but in an applied sense also the Eucharist. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgiveness is reciprocal. 
we are forgiven by God as we forgive our neighbor. Our Lord mentioned that in the continuation of the gospel. Forgive and you will be forgiven. If we, however, hold grudges, we shut off the forgiveness of God. He cannot give it to us. Now, this forgiveness of God sometimes will require great effort on our part. I have a friend, I have friends, husband and wife, who suffered a great deal in prison. But before they were in prison under the communists, the husband was visited by the Nazi, by a Nazi. The husband and wife were Jew, born Jew, but then Lutheran. And the husband said to the Nazi, what have you been doing the last two weeks? He said, killing Jews. How many did you kill? Oh, he said about 30,000 in two weeks. Were you in this particular village? Yes. How many Jews did you kill there? Oh, he said, I killed every Jew in that town. Do you ever ask God for forgiveness? No, I don't believe there's any such thing as forgiveness. And the husband said, let us see. My wife, Sabina, is upstairs asleep. She has not heard this conversation. I shall call her down. He said, Sabina, this is the man who killed your father, your mother, your three brothers, and two sisters. Sabina looked at him intently and then threw her arms around his neck and kissed him and said, as God forgives you, I forgive you. And the Nazi threw himself on his knees and begged forgiveness. So forgiveness is reciprocal. And lead us not into temptation. That means trial. Do not bring us into any trial that will be too great for us. First of all, we have trials. Remember that our blessed Lord said, in this world you will have tribulation. This life is not supposed to be easy. We're working out something. Life is a combat, a warfare. So we're asking God, please, do not put me into any war that may be too great for me. Lest I fall or be wounded. But deliver us from evil. Actually, it is not the proper ending, is not deliver us from evil, but deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from the devil. Deliver us from Satan. And there is a devil. Then at the end we say, 
Amen. Amen means I've said it. May I live up to it. May it be fulfilled in me. You never heard our blessed Lord say at the end of a prayer, Amen. We put the Amen in there. Our Lord did not. Unless it was meant for us to say it, as he actually did say. Our Lord always began his sentences when he wished to emphasize something with, Amen, Amen, I say to you. In other words, I give you the truth. Amen, amen. We put the amen at the very end. Now this is the Our Father that we say so often. We will say it during the Mass. And now I hope that it will have new meaning for you. And how do we know now that the Heavenly Father is so good? Well, we know it because our Lord has told us. You know, it almost seems as if the three persons of the Blessed Trinity are playing hide-and-seek. We never knew the Father well until the Son came and told us. Then we knew the Father was full of love and mercy. How do we know our Lord? If our Lord reveals the Father, who reveals our Lord? The Holy Spirit. So our Lord said, I will send you the Holy Spirit who will reveal me, who will make me clear to you. This is the purpose of the Spirit. Not odd manifestations. Any spirit that does not come to deepen this love of our blessed Lord and become truly his spirit is not the spirit of Christ. I suppose I could sum up the Our Father by telling you never to be discouraged. You have a heavenly Father and now this morning you have learned some Aramaic and it would be well occasionally to think of yourselves as little children because remember only no old people are ever going to enter the kingdom of heaven that's right our Lord said unless you become as little children you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven so we have to become young and if you think yourself young you will begin calling the heavenly father in your mind and soul Abba, 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 who art in heaven. God love you. You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program. Bishop Sheen presents, hosted by Al Smith. Well, my dear friends, I hope you enjoyed that reflection on the Our Father uh, given by the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. And, and I love his title that the Church has given him, Venerable. 
and uh, again, worthy of imitation. I think sometimes people always ask me, you know, what does that mean, venerable? And I like to say it's church approved, and um, I've been blessed in that I've been a board member uh, for the Archbishop Fulton John Sheen Foundation in Peoria, Illinois, and that is the group that uh, is behind the cause of Sheen's canonization process. And so uh, it's been uh, quite uh, a journey over the years uh, with the cause for his canonization. And uh, I'd like to always say to people that, um, you know, good news will come one day. We're waiting for a new date to be set by the Vatican. Um, Again, the uh, date that was given to us back in uh, December of 2019, Uh, That date uh, was asked to be postponed, and um, again, the Church in her wisdom wanted to just make sure that everything uh, is perfect as far as they're concerned, and um, it's like I say, it's the uh, climate of the Church these days. We um, sadly hear many uh, tragic stories um, relating to the Church, but yet, um, even though some people may say the Church has a black eye, uh, I like to say it has a beautiful heart, because it Uh, imitates the heart of Jesus and the heart of Mary. And so we are blessed. And But yet, uh, saints sometimes take hundreds of years to uh, become saints. And I think we were spoiled a little bit with uh, John Paul II and uh, Mother Teresa. And uh, again, I think we were expecting the same thing with Fulton Sheen, that he would be um, uh, declared a saint uh, sooner than later. But um, in God's perfect timing, I like to say. And so we just await a new date from the Vatican, and I think it'll be a great celebration uh, for all of us. And so, uh, but we do know that uh, Sheen's writings, his audio recordings, his videos, um, again, they're beautiful. They're sound and they're all church approved. And uh, one thing I say is that when uh, the Vatican was looking at the body of work of Fulton Sheen, uh, the good folks in Peoria had to send over crates and crates of his books and his videos. And they watched them all and looked through them to make sure there was no error. And there was no error. And so, uh, again, this is why the church gives this declaration of venerable uh, to be trusted. And so uh, I always uh, can give a Bishop Sheen book to someone and know they're going to love it and it's going to touch their soul. And uh, again, may I recommend that you pick up a Bishop Sheen book or two if you haven't already. Uh, I've been blessed to have put together 30 of them over the years. And so, uh, again, I am a fan. Uh, My latest book, uh, War and Peace, an anthology, is available through Sophia Institute Press. And um, again, I put together a collection of Sheen's writings during the war years because uh, there is so much war going on now uh, in the world that we see because of the media. And I think people are looking for answers to the war. You know, why this war? Uh, How do we uh, achieve peace? And uh, Fulton Sheen has journeyed down that road a few times now and has the answers. And so uh, many of those answers are contained in the book, War and Peace, an anthology. And it's available wherever fine books are sold, uh, but you can find it from the publisher at sophiainstitute.com. And uh, they're actually giving a 25% discount when you order two books from them. So it doesn't matter what title it is. Uh, If you order two books from Sophia Institute Press, 
you can uh, get a 25% discount by using the promo code SHEEN25 uh, during the checkout process. So, again, that promo code of SHEEN25. And, uh, again, that is a good discount. I, I like that. <laughs> anyway, so the website is sophiainstitute.com. All right. Um, again, lots of Sheen to read. The Wartime Prayer Book, the Holy Hour Prayer Book, and, of course, War and Peace, an anthology. Uh, keep you, that's good summer reading. I like to say that, good summer reading. Uh, my dear friends, uh, it has been a real joy to uh, be with you this hour, to share the wisdom of Fulton Sheen on the Our Father and, of course, the family, and, of course, uh, again, God's holy law. And I think we need to, of course, meditate and uh, just love God's holy will and the laws that he gave us to guide our lives. And so, my dear friends, until next week, may the good Lord continue to bless you and keep you. May the Lord let his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord look upon you kindly and bring you peace. God love you. You have been listening to Bishop Sheen Presents, hosted by Al Smith, here on Radio Maria Canada.